episode of the Brushholders Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Brushholders Union, Simon Berman. This month, I'm joined by Jeff Hall. We're going to talk about uh, his work painting dungeons, his career in miniatures gaming over the last 20 years, and uh, the book he's working on with Dave Taylor, who uh, we've worked on some with before, and uh, coming up next month. Jeff, thanks for joining me. Thanks. I really appreciate you having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, you know, I've actually wanted to talk to more people who are involved in kind of the, the terrain and um, uh, immersive experience end of, of miniatures gaming as opposed to just miniatures painting. So I think you got a lot of cool stuff to say on that subject. Thanks. Yeah. Um, I've been a fascinating, I find that a fascinating aspect of, of terrain and, and of miniatures in general is that immersion immersion that you get when you build these awesome tables and uh, going all the way back to, you know, the first days, it's what sucked me into wanting to be a part of miniature gaming and, you know, glad to, to continue that on. Yeah, it's, it's kind of finding that sweet spot between um, a game table and a diorama, right? Correct, exactly. And and for me, it's about finding something that you can break down and, and rebuild and, and change it up, you know, when you have limited space and you use your game table for other things in the house or whatever it may be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there's a lot of functionality that needs to go into it. I'm, I'm really interested to pick your brain about it. But uh, why don't we talk about how did you get started with miniatures? What, what, was, your, what was your entry point? Um, like most people, you know, in God, the, the, the way back in the early nineties got into uh, D and D or actually late eighties was into D and D, you know, and, and then went to my first gaming convention in 1991 and saw people playing 40 K. And I was like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> you know, and it was, it was a awesome table set up like a moonscape with all these great miniatures. And I, I was hooked and my friends and I, you know, left there with piles of miniatures from the vendor area and never really looked back. It was always about starting to f- figure out a great way to make a cool setup. And, you know, as kids in high school, we were digging around in the back for big chunks of rock and whatever it is and yeah, yeah. Train, train trees and, you know, things to, to build this cool a, a layout. And then, you know, it just kind of went from there. Very cool. So, so were you immediately involved in, in making environments or tables? Yeah, we definitely were. We started out, like I said, uh, my my relatives had this uh, like empty apartment underneath their house, and they let us use that as a gaming room, which was really cool. Oh, wow! So we were able to set up stuff and leave it there for a while. So we would build these great you know tables, like I said, with big rocks or you know train pieces and things we could scrabble and f- scramble and find and whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, I was always really into figuring out a re- really cool way to make something that that looked awesome on the table. Do you have any, any particular memorable pieces from back then? Like, what was the first time you made something that was like, this is cool? We built a bunch. We got these giant, you know, slabs of rock from from the woods, and we stacked them on top of each other, and we made little uh, suspension bridges out of string and popsicle sticks and hot glue and made, like, little bridges, you know, going between all the rocks. Awesome. And, uh, and we covered the ground of the table with, um, you know, that stuff they put down to, like, sop up oil or whatever it is almost like yeah, glitter, yeah, like yeah kind yeah. of rock and we put that down we built this really awesome board and we were like can we actually play on this or is it, you know, <laughs> is it, is it functional at all but it looked great and you know we had a blast with that super cool um so you know i guess you did that through high school and stuff and um yeah how did you kind of make and, the, the jump into doing this stuff a little more seriously and professionally i was in the outrider program as i mentioned in uh college uh going out doing demos for for tabletop gaming and, and games workshop products and then uh, i went and interviewed with games workshop and they offered me a job in their retail division and i went and took that job right out of college and 
you know, I managed a store for a couple months and then uh, an, an opening came up in the promotions department and I moved up there and I was part of the hobby. At the time, it was the, the hobby team. And we, you know, did Gen Con and Origins and all those shows and Games yeah. Day and uh, and that. So I left for a little bit. Uh, my wife was still my wife to be at the time was still in college. So we were doing the long distance thing and uh, moved back to Pittsburgh, where I'm from. And then I went back to Games Workshop in 2003 and uh, worked for five years running the events program. And I was in charge of all the grand tournaments, games days, you know, all the shows, working on White Dwarf, all that kind of stuff. Wow, very cool. So did, did you have a lot of like hands-on, like, did you, did you get a bunch of terrain experience at that time? You know, I know making terrain to be used in tournaments is its own sort of skill set, isn't it? Yeah, I did. I was kind of, I oversaw part of the hobby team at the time, you know, so we were building games day tables and, and the terrain for all the grand tournaments, you know, having to mass produce, you know, 100 rocks that can all be uniform and and things like that. Um, and my time between two stints at Games Workshop, when I was back in Pittsburgh, I, I created a gaming club up there and we'd run Rogue Trader tournaments. So I had tons of terrain that, you know, we had built to run these tournaments that would get 50 and 60 people, you know, at the local VFW for, for the Pittsburgh area. Sure. So I had lots of terrain for that. And, uh, you know, just kind of really built upon my love of, of great scenery and a way to, you know, make awesome tables for people to play games on. Why don't we get into a little bit about, about making terrain for tournaments? You know, what are, what are some of the fundamentals that, you think that, go, that go into making good terrain that's going to be functional and fun? Yeah. Part of it has to be the uniformity. Um, you know, you have to, you don't want one table to be so, over the top that, you know, whoever plays on that feels like they, they didn't get a fair game <laughs> because like the board was yeah. so steeped in one way or another. So it's all about making it fairly uniform. Hey, this table should all have, you know, three woods or some cool ruins, but they have to be playable, you know, the same kind of line of sight blocking and, and whatever that may be. Um, and just, uh, you know, enough to, to cover lots of tables. So if you get a huge turnout at your tournament, everybody feels like they're getting a fair shake. On, sure. on every game they're playing on. And it probably needs to be pretty transportable and um, compact as well, doesn't it, it? Exactly. Something that can fit in some nice, you know, Rubbermaid bins or something you can easily store, you know, in your garage or, or whatever that may be. And, you know, game mats. Um, back then they were all more felt like those yeah. Monday night production geohex kind of mats. Because um, neoprene wasn't that. really a thing at the time. <laughs> I just bought a Monday night productions mat, actually. They're, they're actually neighbors of mine, essentially. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. I still yeah. have a bunch. I have some desert ones and a bunch of green ones and a space one. I've yeah, always I, loved that stuff. It's good I, to see they're still around. I bought a classic green mat. I was like, I got a new table. I need to, I need to just have that, that classic goblin green 90s era GW table, right? Right. And, you know, and it was always using that same Woodland Scenics flock. So you knew mm -hmm. how you could match all your bases of your, yep. your hills and woods and things to that, which was always nice. Exactly. Um, so did you have any go-to terrain pieces for uh, tournament use? Um, it was, you know, fairly simple rock formations that you could carve out a pink or blue foam and then mount on a nice, you know, piece of hardboard and, uh -huh. you know, paint up and flock. Um, I love those old, you know, remember the old bristle brush looking trees from Games Workshop? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they were super durable because you could throw those in a box and they didn't get uh -huh. beat up or anything <laughs> yeah. versus some of those, the, the, the trees that are more um, clump foliage, What you know, that mm -hmm. stuff falls off so easily. So, yeah. Um, you know, you, you want something that's definitely durable that you can pack up in a box and, and take from place to place. Did, did you uh, ever have like a repair kit that you brought with you for, the, for those events? Absolutely, yeah. I always had some Elmer's glue and some super glue and, you know, a couple bags of flock or whatever it may be, just in case something, you know, got dropped or broken in the midst of, of running an event. 
Yeah, sure. I, I when we when having to help out with the, the events of Privateer Press for years, and you know, we had the, uh, the the sort of low plastic uh, tubs, and they'd just be full of piles of, of you know river bits or well not river bits, but like ponds and uh, other relatively flat stuff. But there's a real balance, I think, in making the stuff that's going to be flat and easy to transport, but still look cool. Absolutely. Um, I I feel that if you're going to play a miniature game, you still need some sort of 3D aspect. I, I'm not a fan of the the realm of 2D terrain. I, I, I can't stand it myself. <laughs> um, I don't want to see someone put down a flat piece of neoprene that says woods on it. I'm like, that, yeah. that's, I might as well be playing a board game or a chip game or something at that point. You know, I want, yep. I want to see the realism and, and everything shining forth there. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's that that full 3D experience that draws you in. I don't, I don't think anybody really gets into miniatures games because they, they, they want to have an efficient way to play a game. If they want to do that, they're going to play a video game at the end of the day, right? <laughs> exactly, you know. The miniature games are always going to be slightly questionable in rules because there's going to be weird yeah. situations <laughs> that come up and things. It's yeah, not going to be yeah. the, the most robust game experience. It's about that full immersion, like we said, you know, with cool figures and awesome terrain and, and just playing out, you know, an awesome scenario. Yeah, a hundred percent. That 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 full experience, right? It's not it's not just the game. It's not just the miniatures. It's it's the, it's the meeting of the two and terrain is such a critical way to make that happen and i think oh i came to that realization relatively late to my own shame but i think a lot of people necessarily don't don't even realize it until they've been playing for a long time how, how critical terrain is to the experience right and i kind of then took that because i had always run rpg games you know D campaigns and things and i had all this terrain and in, in these tubs and things you know that run these 40k and fantasy tournaments and then i would start pulling it out like okay you guys are you know in the woods let's set up all these trees and there's a little stream and you know the orcs are coming out to attack you in the rpg game and it just kind of went from there to now i build these ridiculously elaborate <laughs> setups for for a, an rpg game every time i i get a chance yeah they're so cool we'll, we'll definitely get into that but so so from from games workshop uh doing terrain during tournament events management and stuff how, where did you go from there um after games workshop uh, you know, Games Workshop went through that transition where basically everybody left Maryland and they moved everything to Memphis and things. So most of us uh, had, to, had to find a different line of work. Sure. Um, I was doing freelance work for a bit. I was doing some writing. I've written a number of RPG books for Fantasy Flight games. I've worked on their 40K and uh, line of RPGs. I wrote for their Star Wars line, which is like a huge dream come true. You know, That's very cool. I have my name on a, an official Star Wars product, project, product of yeah. some sort. And, um, uh, I worked for uh, Ernie Baker, who was the former CEO of GWUS for a bit. He had a company called Alien Dungeon Architects of War. I did you know marketing and stuff for him. Um, I squeezed in three years of being an English teacher in there since I have an English degree. Right on. Um, and then, uh, then I took a job where I'm at now with games and stuff, one of the biggest uh, game stores in the, in the eastern seaboard. And we have a huge following, a great game store, You know, built a huge community and uh, – you know, I've been running that uh, operations for that place for the past uh, almost eight years now. Oh, awesome. And uh, in that time, you're still making terrain, huh? Still building terrain, running cool events for the store, you know, still working. You know, I've still done some free, more freelance stuff. I wrote for Cubicle 7 now that they have the 40K RPG. And, you know, I've you know been asked to do some other projects for, for Fantasy Flight and things. So, yeah, oh, very cool. always involved in the industry in some form or another. And uh, now well, I, I can't you know, believe it's going uh, on 20 years now. <laughs> yeah. I bet you know uh, Chris Handley, who works over at Cubicle 7 as another freelancer? Yeah. 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 Um, He's a Brushwolders Union member and a, a good buddy of mine. Great. 
Yeah, it's a lot of, you know, GW led to most of us having connections in the industry in some form or another, whether it's, you know, people that went on to privateer and and all these different, you know, companies, you go to Gen Con and you walk around and every other booth is like, hey, I used to work with you. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. The industry is about six people wide sometimes, it feels like. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Super cool. Thanks for the the overview on what you've done and how you've got to where you are. But I want to talk about um, your philosophy on, on making an immersive uh, RPG experience with miniatures. I think that's that's thing that's really been coming to life in the last decade, ever since Dwarven Forge really got started and that they, they blew up. And I feel like you're seeing these these bigger and more impressive dungeons, and that they're super cool. My buddy Ed Burrell, um, I don't know if you know him at Skeleton Key Games, but he's he runs really beautiful D and D games. He's got he's got tons of painted terrain, terrain and everything. And um, yeah, and he does um, the Skeleton Key game stuff, right? Yeah, that's that's his yeah. company. Yeah, I, I love those little like spell scrolls and stuff he does. Oh yeah, that, that's super cool. But, yeah. But yeah, his his personal D and D games are, are they're deluxe, like they're they're real just chef's kiss stuff. Um, but uh, it's gotten me excited about that stuff to see that stuff too, and I I, I want to hear. So, what do you think goes into making a compelling D and D or uh, RPG table out of miniatures and terrain? It's all about the feeling you get. Um, I want people that, you know, when my player, I'm, I'm actually playing T&D tonight, uh, like six o'clock, my group's coming over and I, I've set, spent all day setting up the table, built this huge, you know, layout of a, a edge of a swamp with trees and a road and a ruins of a tower. And I, you know, I want that initial reaction when they walk in to sit down and they're like, whoa, you know, they're, they're excited about like, we're going to get to play on this tonight. <laughs> this yeah. is really cool. And it's about bringing whatever you're trying to tell them to life. I, I know some people love theater of the mind. They're not in there to, to miniatures and things. They want to create the whole experience, you know, just in their head, which is fine. And that, that appeals to many players. And we all did it for a long time, you know, around the kitchen table is, you know, middle schoolers or whatever it is. And we sure. had cool things. But now that I have the opportunity, I love to set that stage. And so that you can post pictures or whatever, and other people can see it. And they immediately know what you were going for. Like, Oh, look at this frost giant's lair with, you know, great ice caverns and you uh-huh. know, a big dragon in the corner. Uh, you know, I just, I want to be able to set that stage so that people just walk out thinking like that was such a fun game. And I, I could envision every little aspect of it, you know, thanks to, to building this really cool board that, you know, brought it all to life for me. Yeah. A hundred percent. You know, I, I do, I love theater of the mind stuff myself. You know, I, if I'm going to play vampire, of the masquerade, I'm going to play, I don't want miniatures for that, but um I agree for, you know, for any kind of D&D fantasy stuff, having those figures on the table and really being able to, to create that diorama of the moment is just, it's so exciting. And I've taken it a little bit lately. I've been doing more with that with sci-fi too. I, I've been, you know, I have a ton of like Tatooine style buildings for Star Wars and, you know, ships and things. And, and thanks to the awesome world of 3D printing, you know, there's a million Patreons that do like all these great characters for Star Wars that you don't get you know, just from Legion or, or yeah, war yeah. game style thing. So you can build all these great, like, citizens just walking around and droids and, you know, what it may be. And you can do the same for, for fantasy now. There's millions of models of just townsfolk and henchmen and, you know, whether it's like creating a, a marketplace in a city with, you know, really cool whiz kids, you know, stalls and things. Like, you can really build so much now that, you know, 10 even 10 years ago most of us would have probably thought they're never gonna make that <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i mean there's some there's some wild stuff going on there not between 3d printing and even some of the official stuff getting made is is, is really well like, yeah know, i mean the fact that like whiz kids has gone crazy with their D line and you know it's a huge part of what we carry at the store and now everything from you know giant sailing ships to now they just brought out a 400 hundred dollar tiamat that's huge yeah <laughs> it's coming out and 
you know, there's amazing levels of, of immersion available for people who don't have to have a craft background. It, you know, a lot of right. people don't have the time or effort to carve things out of foam and, and things like they just want to be able to like walk into a store and buy a bunch of stuff. And that's the cool thing that it's available to anyone, you know, if you, you want to spend some money on it. It's, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, back in the day, you had to really, you had to almost be, you know, a model railroader of building yeah. this elaborate things so that, that that's not the case anymore. Yeah, it's kind of been a revelation to me, too, because, you know, in, in the 90s, I got into the ministries, but I was always very intimidated by the terrain. Um, you know, I, I made some green cactus balls like everybody else did. Sure. Um, which I'm actually thinking about revisiting this year, maybe a slightly more um, sophisticated manner, because I, I love the nostalgia effect. But um, my point is, you know, the, the, I, I didn't have the time to get into model railroading terrain, which is kind of like where you had to start back then, like you said. And um, the last five or six years, it's become the barrier to entry for having a cool looking table is so much easier. You know, um, absolutely. Companies like Monster Fight Club that are produced in Battlefield in a Box from Gale Force Nine, they're producing amazing pre-painted terrain that are very affordable um, that you can just, you know, pop it open and put it right on your table. You don't have to do anything more. Yeah. And there's, there's so much wild kits out there. Like, you know, even Games Workshop is making the uh, the Necromunda Market Kit, which came out a couple months ago. And that's, yeah, that's absolutely. so cool. Like, and, you know, if you told me in the 90s that they'd be making that, you, I, I never would have believed you. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah, like who would have ever thought half the stuff that GW is now made in plastic would have ever existed? Like, yeah, an entire test foods army for sure. <laughs> it seems like you've really got a basis in making this terrain, and I'm excited to see the project you're working on with Dave Taylor, which I think is coming to Kickstarter next month. And that's uh, yeah, the, the tremendous tome of decorating dungeons. That is actually what it's called. Um, Dave and I have been friends for a very long time, and um, you know he's had some great success with his his previous books on Kickstarter and he approached me that he had this idea of, you know, showing people how to do really cool RPG builds. And he knew it was something I was really passionate about. So we started brainstorming and, you know, concocted this book and, you know, and it's going to cover everything. I I'm a huge fan of Dwarven Forge. I have way too much Dwarven Forge. Um, <laughs> if, if my wife knew how much money I'd spend on Dwarven Forge, you know, she'd probably have a coronary, but you know, <laughs> those things. Um, you know, but there's stuff from like the WizKids Warlock tiles. There's the 3D printed Fat Dragon tiles. There's, you know, her starts to build your own. There's so many cool things you can do now to build dungeons, which are, you know, it's in the name Dungeons and Dragons. You know, uh-huh. it's, it's the iconic thing people want to do the most is build a cool, you know, dungeon crawl layout. So we're going to we're going to explore all those and show people how to take them whether it's pre-built ones and pre-painted to paint your own and how to dress them up with, you know, cool little treasure piles and traps and, and things that you can really, you know, give your players again, that immersion, you know, for, for a very e- easy route without having to spend tons of time or, or money on it. Yeah. No, I think it's a really cool holistic effect, a holistic look at the whole, the whole process. Right. Um, I'm stoked. Cause you know, I, I, last year we got Mel Bowes put out his um, terrain book, which is an incredible resource for terrain building. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. I'm excited to see something like that for for, but that's more for the wargaming aspect. I'm seeing something. Excited to see something similar coming out for for RPG terrain because there really hasn't been a resource like that before. Yeah, and what you can do with it, and um, you know, and you know, right now we're focusing on dungeons, and but you know, there there's obviously way more to do down the road. If if it's successful, we can show you how to build towns. We can show you how to build woodland encounters. You know. They, you know, maybe maybe there'll be a, a new line of like you know how to we're like the HGTV of, of building D and D tables. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, yeah, let, let's maybe kind of start from this from the, from the beginning of it. You know, what are what are the essentials you need to start figuring out how to make a cool looking table for your D and D game? 
the first and foremost, I think it comes down to your your initial your prep. Are you going to use a, a pre-built module or you know a bot adventure, or if you're writing your own, it's that planning stage. Really thinking about like, all right, where are they going tonight? We're going to play for four or five hours. Let's you know get a, a rough sense. Like you know tonight, my players are leaving the city of Waterdeep in the Forgotten Realms, and they're going to the Mirror of Dead Men, which is a swamp. So you know I'm, I have built this table to be the road and the edge of the swamp and some trees, and that's their first. In, you know, encounters they're going to do and they're going to travel along there. And then from there, I hope they get further into the swamp where they're looking for this set of ruins. And then I'm going to kind of pull, you know, we're going to take a break. I'm going to pull everything off the table. I'm going to slap down a, a, a swamp mat and some swamp terrain. And, you know, then we're going to play part two where they're actually in there and they're, you know, traveling by a little bit of a boat through the swamp. So it's kind of just that prep and planning of, of what you know you want them to do is the, the, the key, you know, and make sure that they're, they're you're achieving that as you, as you go. Sure. So when you start doing this for your own use, do you find that you're setting up for a, a table for a whole night of, you know, multiple encounters, or are you maybe doing it around a single key encounter? Um, I'm one of those people that likes to change the set uh, as much as I can. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is our second session in this new, for this new D&D group. Um, the first one I made it so, you know, I built a town. I, I had tons of buildings from Foreground, and I had streets from Dwarven Forge, and I built this whole cityscape. Uh, this was some of the pictures I had sent you. And, yeah, um, they're really cool. If, you know, I had this town, and they were part. most of the adventure took place in the town. So that one I didn't change as much, but then when the towards the end they were going down in the sewers, I actually had a little side table built with some sewer stuff on it. So I just kind of, kind of pulled the cloth off and I'm like, all right, now you guys have gone in the sewers. Now come over here and we'll go down through the sewers. Um, tonight, you know, most of the encounters will be about this initial travel and through the woods. But I'm hoping, like I said, to be a, do at least one scene switch where I, I, you know, everybody takes a break, go to the bathroom, get some drinks, and then I'll. I'll reset the table a bit. So when they come back down, like, all right, here's, here's part two. Sure. Uh, that's awesome. So do you, do you spend a lot of time resetting the table or, or concealing parts of it from your players? I try to make it so that the stuff that's out there is fine. And the rest of the stuff I'll just drop in as, as we go. So you don't have to like ruin some of that immersion by having half the table covered by like a sure. or something. Um, you could do that a little differently if it's a dungeon crawl, because then you can just cover, you know, the top. So of yeah, the yeah, and, and pull that off as you go. But if they're an outdoor overland experience, it's a little different. Um, and so I, I like to be able to, you know, again have durable terrain that I can quickly pull off, throw them back in its, its box, and just slide it off to the side, and and you know pull the ne- the next batch of stuff out and, and no, set it up in a, in a ten to fifteen minute time frame because nobody wants to sit around for an hour while you build a new thing. <laughs> While you play with your toys, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, do you find that we're doing it with such an emphasis on the on the terrain and the board? Do you find that you prefer pre made scenarios, or do you like to do your own uh, world building? I kind of like to do my own world building because um, then you're also catering to exactly what you have. You know, if yeah, if, if you're doing something pre made and it's very specific that this building or thing is this certain built or shape or, or things, and you don't have that in, in your arsenal of terrain to pull out. Well, it, it's not the same. <laughs> sure. So if you're doing it all on your own or just pulling, picking and choosing from from pre-existing things, you know, I, I have like parts of an old dungeon magazine dungeon that I'm using for part of it tonight that, you know, that's set in that same area that of the world that we're playing in since we're doing the Forgotten Realm setting. Um, but, oh, cool. you know, I've kind of tweaked it and twisted it to make it my own. And I'll yeah, be, you know, using things here and there from that as I go. So in terms of, of where to start, 
so say I decide I'm going to do a, a, you know, a fight in a dungeon. What, what do you think the essentials are to have to, to, to get into it in terms of, of both materials and maybe pieces of terrain? So they they've have a lot of really good starter sets now, whether that be Warlock Tiles or Dwarven Forge or, or, you know, obviously setting yourself a budget and be like, all right, I have $100 I want to spend on something and, and making sure that it's versatile. So you want to you don't want something that's so specific that it really only ever applies to one weird encounter. You know, you want something sure. that you can use time and time again. So, you know, any of the various starter sets um, like Warlock Tiles, their starter sets around $120, I think it is current incarnation they did a little bit of a price rise recently with all the shipping issues and, and things yeah um but again it's it's really a good well-rounded thing it's walls it's floors it's basic pieces that you can put together in any amount of configurations that you'd like so i think you know that that's the key finding something that's really versatile that you can use over and over again and not be kind of like i bought this really cool you know hellscape set that's only ever used in one lava field <laughs> right encounter that i run once every you know six years put some cobblestone steps they're going to do some work for you right exactly you know any any of that basic stuff some basic doors some basic uh you know the warlock tile pieces are nice because they have the stone as well as the wood and daub kind of taverny look you know so you can build buildings out of and things so those are really nice to, to get their various starter sets and they're double-sided so you can have the stone floors and, and the wood floors and uh then you just pick whatever wall section you like the most. No, that's a great piece of advice. When it, when it comes to actually painting the stuff, if it isn't pre-painted, um, you know, I think to a certain degree, speed and, and, and being able to, efficiency is a big part of it, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. You know, stick to a, a very straightforward color scheme, especially if you're doing dungeons. You know, something you can prime black, dry brush with one or two or three levels of gray, depending on how detailed you want to get. And then, you know, pick out the, the details of the doors and, and little things. And then down the road, you can always go back if you want to really dress it up and add some you know, water grime streaks or, you know, little puddles of, of resin water or something, to, you know, but for the initial thing, you know, stick to that three, four color method and, and you're going to be able to crank it out in a really, you know, easy method. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's definitely true for, uh, for any kind of streets and, um, and dungeon walls and stuff, too. But, you know, I see you do a lot of terrain. Do you have any tricks for, like, getting these beautiful um, wooden houses and stuff painted up quickly? So most of those houses are from foreground, and those actually all come pre-painted. They oh, just need better. assembly. <laughs> there you go. That's the trick, <laughs> So, right? I mean, they're Basically, not a, yes. a simple build at times. There are very many pages of instructions, but, you know, if you just take your time and, and sit down, they go together really well, and they're, you know, modular, so you can pull off the floors and roofs and things, so you can play inside of them. But the fact that they're, they all come laser-cut but pre-painted is a huge benefit for, yeah. you know, just getting them done and on the table. Yeah, and I, I think that that's always been part of my um, my hesitancy. Well, I'm getting over it now, but usually my hesitancy getting into terrain building was that like that was time that I wasn't working on miniatures, which is what I ultimately want to be doing. Um, sure. And there are so many so many great solutions out of getting this stuff done done in a relatively quick manner. Um, but do you do you find you rely on an airbrush a lot, or do you mostly do hand brushing? Um, I wish I used my airbrush more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like for this base coat or this or that um but i'm old school that like you know I, I i found a lot of speed in various rattle can methods you know to get base coats down and and level you know first layers on you know just setting up a table in the garage with cardboard and you know rattle canning a bunch of different you know steps that way um which i could achieve with an airbrush but i always think of that after the fact yeah so what, what are some of these rattle can tricks you've got 
Um, you know, there's always the Zenithal highlights and things to, that you can do in different angles. Um, a lot of those Tatooine buildings I mentioned for Star Wars, I, I sprayed brown and then I'd go back with light dustings of like a, a, a bone color, then a light, light dusting of white. And that's really doing a lot of that shading right there for you. You know, it's just about, you know, making sure you're not over spraying too much that's covering the, 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 the subsequent steps, you know, and you're just able to then speed that up greatly and get a lot of terrain done in a, in a short amount of time. No, that's cool. Um, do you find that you're, you draw upon a lot of scale modeling techniques when it comes to the terrain stuff? Not so much. Um, it's not anything I've ever really spent a lot of time, you know, I don't do a lot of research in that regard of like sure. looking at the way train modelers do or anything like that. Um, a lot of it's self-taught, a lot of it's stuff I learned at Games Workshop from from great train makers as we were building Games Day tables, you know, people like Jake Landis and Mark Gregory and stuff. We would, they showed me great tips of, you know, how to do really cool water or, or you know, get stone to look a certain way. So, yeah. you know, I just kind of relied on that and, and always if there is something I'm interested in, you know, digging around online or YouTube or whatever it is to see what some other people may have found a, a good way to do something. That's cool. So I guess you're, you're very self-taught, which I think is, is pretty common, for, uh, especially for people of our, our uh, vintage, right? But um, right. Uh, I do think it's cool. You know, there's so many new resources online to get started with this stuff. I was curious if there's anything that you, you found that you look to um, as far as resources for both either inspiration or, or learning a new technique that maybe you hadn't tried before. Um, for inspiration, there's great Facebook groups. There's like D&D creative table builds um, and a couple fantastic modelers on there who who kind of they they follow my mindset of building these really cool elaborate you know setups um and some of those guys have you know then taken that even further they you know the one guy i know who builds awesome tables now plays with joe manginello and you know so they've Super gotten cool. the same aspect of it all yeah and you know it's it's crazy to think that there's like a whole celebrity D culture now um it's so weird <laughs> we would have never dreamt would have been a thing when yeah. you know we were starting out um, but you know, and there's, there's great Instagram accounts again of people that show, you know, really cool ways they've built a table or a building or a dungeon. And, you know, and now I've started my own Instagram account to try to chronicle mine. And I've been following more and more accounts as I go. And I'm like, wow, these people have so many cool ideas. You know, it's great to just, to steal, you steal these ideas because oh, yeah. you know, everybody wants to see, see cool stuff when they're, they're playing. And most, most of your players aren't going to see that stuff. You know, sure. unless they're super involved as well, they're going to want you to see what you come up with. So, yeah. you know, which is always important. Right. So, actually, so I want to talk about um, looking at a lot of the pictures you sent me that are again in the show notes. If you're listening, take a look at the show notes to see some pictures of Jeff's stuff and follow Jeff on Instagram. But um, you do a lot of cool stuff with lighting. Do you do that during your games or is that just for photography? No, I do. I try to make sure that that's all part of the game. Um, that's so cool. You know, the Dwarven Forge pieces use a lot of LEDs and, and um, different things, which are really nice. But I bought a ton of those little multicolor LED pucks off of Amazon that have the little remote controls, you know, that can change the color and flash. And, and there's just great ways to hide those in things, whether it's, you know, tuck them into a piece of, an, into a building. So then suddenly there's this red light pouring out of a building. Yeah. Or, you know, <laughs> one, I think the sewer picture I you know sent you was that like it was just hidden behind a wall. And, you know, we turned the lights out and hit the button. So this green glow was coming out because they were going to. You know, go into this area where there were like, you know, some skaven, like rat and rare rat nice. creatures. So, so yeah, cool. I like to, to do as much of that as possible. And simple things like those light pucks and things that are very inexpensive. You get like 10 for 15 bucks, you know, and you can, you know, like I said, they come with remote control. So you can, you know, string a bunch of them together and you hit the button and they all light up and you can, 
you know, take those and take something like the Gale Force 9 does a bunch of really cool colored crystals. They have blue, red, green. You just set those on top of the puck and turn them on and suddenly the crystals glow. You know, yeah, there's just sure. little, little tips and tricks to hide things and, you know, whether maybe put some lichen around to hide the puck or, you know, some moss or something so you can't see the, the actual light part. Right. I've never been one to really get into full LEDs of like running wires and things. Sure. That's a little out of my realm. I'm looking for the easy, <laughs> the easy route. Yeah, I think that makes sense too. Again, all this training needs to be packed up and stored at the end of the night, right? So when you yeah, absolutely you soldering yeah. iron out, you're probably pick one needs to have its own like storage <laughs> solution. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and that's geez. one of the things we're going to cover in the book too is how to store dungeons and things because you know. That's a question everybody has. All right, I've built this really elaborate thing. What do I do with it when I got to put it away? Because, you know, the family's coming over and they want to use this table for something else. You know, I actually want to pick your brain about that because I'm, I'm, I'm working on a whole set of terrain for uh, Adeptus Titanicus right now. And I got to I got to store the stuff somewhere. So uh, what, what are some good storage solutions that you think of for terrain? Um, I use a million of those stackable kind of um, Sterlite bins that have like the, the latches on either side. Yeah, um, you can get at Target and they come in like a million different sizes and they stack kind of on top of each other, like two small ones turned a certain way, sit evenly across, you know, a bigger one. And then that sure. sits on top of an even bigger one. So if you use those ones that are made to kind of be all like interlocked, it's really great because I have some I have a storage unit, a storage room in my basement, which is nice um, and has some built in shelving. And I just kind of line all that stuff up in those shelves and it's nice because then everything's uniform, you know, exactly like three of these bins fit on the shelf. And yeah. Yeah. This way. Um, so yeah, I've always been a bit of a neat freak when it comes to that. Um, I try to organize stuff and, you know, keep everything in latched boxes or, or things that I can, you know, stack on top of each other. There's some of these, um, they call them like the HDX boxes. You can get like Home Depot and things that are segmented, you know, and the Plano bins for like bits and things. Yeah. You know, I have tons and tons of those kind of things because they, they're stackable and, you know, all uniform size. And that way you can know, all right, all of, you know, my lizard men are going in here. Or all of my or my bits and bobs for spell effects go in this one. And that way I can slap a quick label or something on the side and, and keep everything organized. Yeah, those those Plano bins are really great. I, I have one I use for um, my Necromunda tokens and dice, and like they're they're so modifiable. They're so they're just super cool. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, some of them have the the inserts that can kind of be moved, so you can make bigger dividers or that's smaller ones. Yeah, and that that's always awesome because then you know you're really customizing exactly what you need. So actually, so talking these little bits and bobs for for terrain, I think that's such a key thing to the table that I think people kind of easily overlook because you know. I'm looking at this picture of your, your cityscape right now and the buildings are beautiful and the streets are very cool, but the things that make it come alive are things like those little, those little lanterns on the edge and the, 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 uh, the statue in the middle. And then what do, what do you think goes into making it creating that immersive? Is it, is it, is it in the details? Do you think? I absolutely, I think, and a lot of people forget about that and that's the stuff that's readily available. Um, there's so many Mantic's uh, terrain crate and whiz kids line and all these things make a million, you know, just cool little dressing bits, whether it's chests or gold piles to, to bats and rocks and, and, and whatever that may be. I think it's, it's always those little touches that really brings everything to life because a building and on a street, it's going to look cool. But if there is, because it's a, a stable, if you put a bunch of bales of hay out next to it and there's a horse, you know, drinking from a trough, like suddenly that's, come alive come to life so much more than just simply that building by itself you know you want people to feel like this is a living breathing city or or woodland or whatever that may be and so adding all those little touches really is what does it 
Yeah, it's it's almost counterintuitive because right? so your, your biggest, you know, uh, dominating pieces—they're almost the background to the to the to the game, right? Like you know, but it, they they may not remember your beautifully designed, you know, three houses or whatever. But the players might remember, like, oh, the crate next to it had a rat on it that was like smiling, and that was funny, right? And they're yeah, going to absolutely. Gonna, the or, or I remembered to check. I, I walked over and checked in there, and that led me to this clue. You know, that then led me down into the sewers because uh, I found, you know, some bits of fur and a claw mark that said, you know, so it's, yeah. it's about seeing those little bits that like, oh, wonder what that is. And, you know, you can put a lot out there, but also your players tend to think, well, if they're out here, there might be a reason they're out. Sure. Here. <laughs> and so they'll, they'll investigate a little more than if you were just like, oh, I forgot to say there was a, a sewer grate. But if you have one actually represented on the table, then they're going to think like, go and look in that and see if yeah. there's something there and so you know it just it adds again it's all about the immersion yeah absolutely um do you do you ever use a lot of civilian figures i do i i actually have an entire battle foam uh, uh bag filled with villagers <laughs> it, it's the best isn't it it is and uh you know there's a, I, ha, I actually had a friend paint a bunch of them up for me because, you know, I, I was focusing on painting, you know, monsters or characters. And I was like, oh, I got all these pals, people I've been amazing. So, you know, I worked out a trade and he painted up a bunch of them for me, you know, for, for some other stuff that, I, that he was interested in. And, and I painted some myself, but it's always nice to be like, all right, now I have like 50 dudes I can put out on the table and everything. Like there's a dwarf drinking a beer or there's, yeah. you know. You know, a saucy wench that's standing in the corner, like flashing her leg. And, you know, because they make so many great pieces from Reaper and WizKids and all these things that, you know, can really, again, set that scene that it feels like a living, breathing city. There's a woman, you know, sweeping with a little kid hanging on, hanging by her leg. And, you know, it just adds so much more to it. Yeah. And I, it, it's, it's one of those things I think is, is a little counterintuitive or maybe not counterintuitive, but people just don't, don't really think about it. Um, but, you know, when you have a, a cool cityscape, if your adventurers are the only guys on it, it feels like the end of the world, right? Like, it's just this mm-hmm. sort of like dead, empty city. But, you know, you add some villagers just, you know, sweeping or having a beer and suddenly like, oh, is this a real place where people live? And like, I want to I want to explore it. Yeah, absolutely. And I kind of said I did the same. I ran a Star Wars kind of one off a few weeks ago and I, I, I built this entire Tatooine type scape. And I just I populated it with just tons of people, whether it was droids and, and you know, just random people walking around. I, I have like 30 painted Jawas I just had running around awesome. the town because like, why wouldn't there be, you know, you know, and it, again, it brings that whole back as everyone's looking around. I had some loath cats from Rebels, that, you know, that I had painted up stuck in doorways and people were like, oh, look, there's a little cat, you know, and it just. Again, it, it, it makes it feel like it's alive. And you, you can think of like, all right, if I get in a shootout right now with that stormtrooper, am I going to hit any people or, <laughs> you know, and it, it makes them also think tactically in the game and things as people are running around the town. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing I like about the civilian stuff is that they're fun to paint because, you know, you generally are not painting uniform stuff. Um, the, sometimes they have a little bit more character to them than, you know, you know, yet another stormtrooper or space marine, right? Um, I just absolutely. Made, I just made a whole bunch of villagers for uh, the Baron's War made by Footsore, and they're so much fun. Like, you know, it's I got like you know old ladies and like a kid with a hobby horse. Um, people with like, gnarly faces. I don't have to worry about like you know, oh, this guy needs to be this red to match the rest of the unit. Like, no, I want to have this, this guy with a blue hat. He's got a blue hat. Right, and if you if you can also then make a few civilian type people that are very specific. Um, the D and D line from Gale Force Nine has a, a from the the Curse of Strahd line has a a witch kind of person with a tarot deck like sitting at a little table, and like I painted her up, and you know when you tuck her off into the corner and people are walking by, they're like, 
hey, we should probably talk to that like fortune teller looking person. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you can then guide your adventure that way too. Like, all right. And then you can pull out some cool props or whatever and like, you know, give them a reading that might steer them on the adventure. Um, Absolutely. And then take it to that next level. You know, like I said, if you also want to take your game, you know, you can use cool props as well. You give them great handouts, maps, um, you know, things they find. Maybe they find a cool a piece of crystal and you have an actual one that you hand to somebody and they put it in their box of like, you know, with their D&D character, like, oh, I'm going to hang on to this. This might yeah. be important. So you can, you know, really give again that, that thing. It's all about the feeling that the players get. Uh, you know, it's very cliche, you know, once more with feeling, but, you know, you want to, you want them to be really invested in what you're doing and, and, and in the game. Yeah, and I think the cool thing about a lot of these tables, too, is if, if you're also into war games, a lot of the stuff can pull double duty in a skirmish game. Like, you know, I've got a bunch of civilians for Baron's War, which I'll be using for background, but I also just got a bunch of um, sci-fi civilians from uh, Colony 87. I don't know if you've seen those. Oh, yeah, those guys are great. Yeah, yeah mine showed up yesterday. I'm really stoked to paint some. They're just, they're just so much fun. they got, like, a lot of, like, you know, 70s Mobius flavor to them in some places, and I paint a bunch of, like, weird, gnarly sci-fi humans. They're going to great my Necromunda games just as background. Or you Yeah, know, we like, actually just played a... Too. A oh, Stargrave campaign and uh, like using all those different civilians and little yeah. bits and, and you know stacks of crates and and computer terminals and things were great for any of those kind of Stargrave or you know the fantasy equivalent of in Frostgrave when you have all those things yeah you know, they they work great in skirmish games we were playing Relic Blade for a while and you know you could put all these great little things that you yeah. can interact with as your you know warband is running around the table yeah yeah I mean so you know my, the approach I'm kind of have to gaming at this point is uh as far as wargaming goes, I've decided my personal rule is I'm not going to get into a new wargame unless I have a table of terrain to play with it, uh, which means I'm going to be looking at places I can do terrain pieces I can have that will pull double duty or hopefully triple duty. Um, I think you kind of touched on that earlier with, you know, when you when you build a street, you want to be able to reuse that street a lot. Um, so I, w I was wondering, you know, what kind of, what are like, what are like the fundamental D&D &D pieces of terrain that you think are great to have just in general? Um, I think obviously everybody needs a, a good mat or two, um, whether that's a grass mat or a cobblestone mat, if you if you're thinking if you're maybe if you're running a campaign that's always set in the town or something, um, you know that's going to help set that first step of the stage. And then on top of that mat, you know, get yourself some some really functional trees, whether that's Gale Force or Monster Fight Club or Woodland Scenics or whatever it may be. Grab a bunch of trees that you can put out, and then the simple things of like some hills, some rocks, you know, things that you can use because then then like you said, it pulls double duty. If you're playing a Warhammer game, you're going to use them. If you're playing, you know, if you're playing a bolt action game, you know, these are very generic pieces that, that exist in the world. They're, they're, they don't yeah. have to be super specific. Um, you know, focus on that stuff to start out with before you buy your first like $300 giant tower. Sure. <laughs> you know, it's going to be very specific. And then, you know, as you build your, your repertoire of terrain, then you add the really cool set pieces in and things but you know trees hills grass mat desert mat whatever it may be you know and, and you know that's that's the thing that's gonna to give you the most mileage for your money no that, that makes perfect sense so uh just before we wrap up with so i'm talking we got trans tome of decorating dungeons that's coming to kickstarter february of this year correct uh we're between two it's somewhere mid-february we're looking at a couple different dates just uh it'll probably be a thursday friday of, of mid-february like the 18th or 15th or something, whatever that falls around there. That's what we're hoping for. It all depends, you know, obviously if Kickstarter approves everything, you got to wait sure. for them to upload it all. But we're, we're trying to have as much done as possible so we can show off as much, you know, going in so people can see what they're, they're getting for their pledge. So what, what, what are they getting for their pledge? 
So right now, where that's still in the in the works, um, okay. obviously it'll be it'll be a a, a well produced tome. It'll most likely be hardback, um, just like Dave's previous books. Um, you know that a nice big chunky hardback book, all full color, filled with great layouts, great tips on painting, um, planning, preparation. Uh, you know, and then an, an awesome section of like, look at these really cool builds we've made. Here's you know a big huge spread of, of the dungeon and here's all the little bits and bobs we've added to really bring it up and here's you know we, we're probably gonna have four or five of those in there you know in the back that show you like sample layouts but the first half of the book or three quarters of the book will be you know how to build the dungeon how to prep how to plan it out how to make sure you know what you know different paint schemes if you want to make your dungeon sand or dry do you want to do wet cellars do you want to do an underdark with like weird glowy purples you know we're going to show you tons of different options so it's not just, you know, gray stone. <laughs> there, there's, you know, we're going to cover all the things, ice caves, you know, we're going to show you lots of different cool things there and, and you know, just talk about the fundamentals of, of how to build it, how to lay it out, how to store it, you know, anything in, and more that we can think of. And then hopefully if things go well, there'll be stretch goals. There'll be more, more pages we can add. There might be some, you know, add on PDFs of, of layouts. Um, as I said, I've written a lot of, of professional RPG stuff. We're going to, you know, hopefully include sample uh, adventures for the layouts in there. So oh, you awesome. know, there'll be content you can have and take into your own game. Um, so yeah, we're, we're planning lots of stuff for it. That's super exciting. I can't wait to get a hold of that myself. Cool. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me. Um, Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's been a great chat. You know, it's yeah, really it's fun great. to talk about all this stuff with someone. My pleasure. You know, maybe once the book's out, we can have you back on and we can see, you know, we can go through it page by page and be like, what's cool? We know what was that'd be awesome. I would love that. Yeah, let's do that for sure. So maybe uh, sometime next year or so. But if you're listening, please take a look at the show notes. uh, Take a look at the cool pictures of Jeff's stuff. Follow his Instagram and uh, keep an eye out for uh, his Kickstarter coming out this month. Jeff, thanks again. Thank you, Simon. I really appreciate you having me on. Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com.